You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Great to be with you for the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter. Gareth Hall with the captain, Guy Moldcaster. Guy, um, you're back on the Gold Coast, of course. It's a busy time of year still, and it's an exciting time of year, mate, because like myself, I think you're getting ready to head over to the UK. Yep. We'll get the uh, Stradbroke day out of the way on the week on Saturday, Gareth, and then uh, all systems charged for a trip to Europe on Tuesday night. Do you still get excited to head over to Europe? Or have you been there, done that too many times now, Captain? Oh, no, there's a lot of people that I deal with the, both business and socially that I don't see very often, and we'll all catch up there next next couple of weeks at Royal Ascot, and it'll should be a hell of a lot of fun. The fields are going to look really good. I've started to see some of the early noms, and it looks like it's going to be great racing for the whole week. So they tell me, Captain, you do all, right, do all right there with the form there at Ascot. Do you know the horses over there? Yeah, well, we buy quite a few out of there every year, Gareth. So we, you know, we sort of do have our finger on the pulse, and also got a couple of good blokes that help me. So um, we're usually pretty right up with the form. And where where do you hang out, Queen Anne or the Royal Enclosure, or you probably hang out with King Charles, the captain? Um, well, have you got any story it... for us? Have you got what's your best story from Royal Ascot that you can tell us? Um. No, well, you know, like to be there and see uh, see Peter Moody and Luke Nolan and Black Caviar and, and you know, for it all to turn out so amazingly well, it was pretty impressive, I thought. Yeah, she was sensational, Black Caviar. What is like Royal Ascot like, if you can compare it to Flemington for the people listening out there, if they've never been? Well, the good thing about it, Gareth, is that they start with a a picnic at, at the cars before the races. Okay. So the first race will be about two o'clock. And if you're lucky enough, you'll get invited to go to somebody's car boot before the races. And they usually get there about 11.30, quarter to 12. And you have two hours of lovely food and, and a couple of uh, thirst quenches. And then you wander across to the races. The first race is about two o'clock or 2.30. They have six races and then everybody goes out to the car park afterwards. So, it's it's really, really well done. It's something like they used to do at Flemington 30 years ago and then all got knocked on the head because everybody had to re have responsible drinking and go home early, you know? I can't believe that, um, like, uh, the to get there nice and early, and it's a bit I like people. I don't know how they butter up each and every day. Well, you know, it's a, it's a fair old drive out from London. Yeah. And it... Good. It's a good ride on the train, except when you get off the train, you've got about a 45-minute walk up a hill with your top tails on. You'd and be a, under and the bat. And <laughs> you're definitely under the bat, Gareth, but, you know, if you peel out three wide and get a toe by and a, a larger gentleman, it's an easy walk up the yeah. hill. Especially when you've got three darts going up that hill as well. It's like <laughs> you don't make it easy for yourself. <laughs> exactly. Um, we'll have a chat about what's happening in the UK, not just with the racing at Royal Ascot, but also there's some pretty intriguing sales that'll be happening in the UK when we're over there over the next couple of months. But I want to have a chat first of all about Winx's half-sister City of Lights that was impressive there, I thought, on debut at Geelong. What did you make of that performance? Well, it was amazing. It was on the same day that Winx won her first race, yeah. and, uh, and I thought she was pretty impressive. Yeah. She's a daughter of Deep Impact. John Camilleri, of course, 
bread city of lights. Um, and she's trained by Anthony and Sam Friedman. And they wanted to make sure that she saw a firmer track than a, than a bog track when she made her debut. So they were pretty patient with her. Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's the whole thing about having horses in good stables, that they make the right decisions and give them the best chance to win on debut. Yep. So how far do you think she will go? And what would be the thinking with John Camilleri with a, a valuable filly like her? Do they do they try and get some black type and win the city with her? Or um, if they don't think that she's quite up to that, do they retire? So what would their thinking be with her? Uh, well, you know, when you've got a pedigree like that, Gareth, you're either, you know, she's already a winner. Yep. If she could win a little bit of black tight, that's a positive. But I don't think it would really impact on a on a progeny selling at the sales too much unless you went and won a really big race. Okay. And then you've got the first dam and the second dam, absolutely amazing. But, you know, now that she's won a race, I think it's, it's a positive and they'd just take her along quietly and just pick pick their mark with her. And the deep impact would help her, her cause as well, I would imagine, on the broodmare side. Oh, well, deep impact's been an absolute phenomenon, yeah. you know, and to to do what he's done and, like, they he had all the best mares in the world when, when they were buying them in Japan year in, year out. So, you know, deep impact's going to be a great thing as a broodmare saw in the years to come. Geez, there was a bit happening there with the Oaks leading up to the Queensland Oaks. We put the Moz on Firebird, unfortunately, the daughter of Rebel Dane, and she didn't take her place in the Oaks. What do you make of all of that vetting situation there? We've had pretty good debate about it over the last week or so, and it's an interesting one. I think the vets need to do their job, but then the trainers say that they know the horses better, Captain. It's, um, it's an interesting debate. I think it's a it's a thing where trainers have to be very very careful because yeah. if they do, if they do stand up and say, "Hey, there's nothing wrong with this horse," it's just it's just a recipe for disaster because if the horse does happen to have an accident at a race, then they're going to yeah. end up with uh, legal suits against them and everything. So I think the trainers just have to roll with the punches and and take the vets. Vet's opinion. Have you still got anything left in that Rebel Dane Colt that you purchased? Oh, did I ask you that last week? Because I'm, I saw that Rebel Dane Colt. He looks like he's, and when Guy Molcaster puts his name to it, I thought, geez, there's something there. I reckon you rang the day I bought him, Gareth. No, I but did. Unfortunately for you, we weren't doing one percent shares that oh. week, so we had a man man take the whole horse, and that was awesome. And I think he'll be a, a, a very nice horse coming through the stable in the next little bit of time to come. Do you know what your problem is, Captain? You forget where you come from. You forget once upon a time you you were a battler like I was, and now you're just like high rolling it and heading to Coolmore and spending a couple of days with the Magnus and us battlers here trying to get in for GA there at Royal Ascot. But um, don't forget where you come from, Captain. Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I've had, I've had a hell of a lot of fun buying horses for 20 grand from my mates. Yeah. Golf trip. If you if you came on our golf trip, we'd be able to get you in a really good cheap horse, and you'd be able to talk about it on your radio show. Oh, I love it. Now, what about the Kermadec filly Amakura that was impressive taking out the Queensland Oaks? And geez, Kermadec's doing a good job. When you have a look at some of the horses that he's produced, now Montefiore is a star. Tuvalu is a Group One winner. Willowy, who was a star there for Godolphin as well. Lim's Kosciuszko. 
um, who stands now at Darley's Northwood Park. So um, he's done a good job, Kermanek. Well, you know, he never really had huge books of mares, but he's he's tuned out a good horse year in, year out. And that horse of uh, Chrissy Lee's that did win the, win the Oaks, she was another one who nearly fell victim to the vets, but she got through it the last yeah. day, and uh, she did a great job, aided by an awesome ride from Molly as well. $16,500, not bad value for that um, sire there, Kermadec, that stand in, in Victoria there at Northwood Park. So you can find a little bit of value from time to time there if you shop around, and I guess you've got to make sure that your mare's suited to his cross, but he can produce a Group 1 horse. Well, you know, I think his numbers are pretty good, and when you're talking about Montefilias and things like that, if you if you happen to pay your sixteen and a half grand and get a good foal by Kermadec, they're going to sell well in the sales ring, and yeah. or you can keep them to race. What about the story of Rio? I love this story. Martin Harley had that really nasty fall with his neck injury, and he was making his comeback. In fact, that was his first Group One ride back in the Oaks, and he finished second with the Richard Lamming trained filly in Rio, and. Um, of course, Rio's by Rubik. Now, of Rubik's 219 individual winners, I did this little bit of homework there last night for you, Captain, just to see if you'd be impressed. So out of Rubik's 219 individual winners, only 20 have saluted beyond 1,600 metres. So that was some job by that filly there on Saturday. No, she was really good. And I actually saw Martin Harley walking around the Gold Coast here about four or five months ago with a neck brace on and he wasn't moving terribly well. And I saw his name in the race fields about a month ago and thought, hey, is this the same bloke? But yeah. good on He's uh, worked hard and he got a good ride and he gave it every possible chance and she didn't really get beaten far at all. And once again, when we think about the Queensland Carnival, I know we've got the Stradbroke weekend to come, but we think of Guy Molecast dominating proceedings by taking out another derby with Kovalika. We'll take a quick break talking about derbies. I want to have a chat about this superstar deep impact cult that took out the famous Epsom Derby there on the weekend. Augustus Roden, who was something else, Faden O'Brien and also Ryan Moore there uh, to Epsom on Sunday morning. In fact, it was Saturday night our time with the race going a little bit earlier than usual. So we'll talk about that straight after this. You're listening to Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. King of Steel, August Rodan is thrusting down the near side. August Rodan begins to get up, and August Rodan gains redemption in the derby. Captain, what about that performance? As we welcome you back to the number one breeding bloodstock and banter podcast with the captain Guy Molcaster, Augustus Rodan. How good is he? He's the son of Deep Impact. I don't think I've ever ever heard, and I know that they would be doing this because he's a stallion prospect, but. Aidan O'Brien talk up a cult and especially Ryan Moore talk up a cult like they did after August Roden's victory there on, on Sunday. Well, I don't think uh, it was a surprise to anybody really. Gareth, they've been speak, talking this horse up for months and months and and when the media really attacked them about his lacklustre performance in the Guineas, uh, nobody took a backward step. They all just said he was still going to win the derby and he did. And, you know, to be bred so well by Deep Impact out of Rhododendron, who her mother was a champion, you know, the world is his oyster. And when he goes to stud, we're probably all going to have to chip in with our 1% to be able to pay the service fee. <laughs> Rhododendron was a, 
a brave move by John Magnier. They decided to send her straight to Japan to be served by Deep Impact. And in fact, I think this colt was one of Deep Impact's last horses that he actually was able to sire there, the captain. So there's a, there's a lot of emotion around this colt. Yeah, well, Cornwall need a lot of different blood to service, you know, all the mares and that they've got from all different jurisdictions. And they sent mares to Deep Impact year in, year out, and they actually had pretty good success for the – they only might have sent three or four mares each year, but they had, they've had – they've had I think that, that Augustus Roden might have been the third group one winner they've had by Deep Impact. And you have a look at the pedigree of this cult, and it's one of the best that you'll ever see. Second Dam is an Irish Thousand Guineas winner and halfway to heaven, who herself is a dam of the seven-time Group 1 winner, who was one of my favourite for Coolmore and Magical. Um, and, of course, he's the son of Deep Impact. So he was the ninth winner of the Epsom Derby as well, Fraden O'Brien, who just continues to rewrite the history books. But he goes on to the Irish Derby now, this cult, and who knows, we might get to see him in a – in an Arc de Triomphe, um, what do you think they'll do with him, Guy? Well, you know, the pedigree's actually a little bit sharper than you might think, Gareth, but I would think they wouldn't deviate too much from their tried-and-true record. He, he'll go to the Irish Derby, probably threes on, and I'd say be very hard to beat. And I'd say they'd love to have him win, you know, on, on their home ground as well, but you could see him running in a really good 2,000-metre race later in the season as well. And that Guinea's performance, he just didn't handle the track because it did rain all day there at Newmarket, or was it? A, I, I and I don't think that the preparation didn't go his way. There was a few hiccups, I think, heading towards Newmarket. Yeah, I think there was a, a wee bit of a skirmish at the beginning, and he sort of really got taken out of the race, and and then he he didn't really, you know, they didn't really make up a hell of a lot of ground, and the track was a bit juicy that day as well. Yeah. So deep impact. What makes him so special in your eyes? I think everything that the Japanese have done, you know, they he was a great racehorse. He they he he had he was given amazing mares. They promote them, they stick with them, and they make it happen. And that's why, you know, that's why people from all over the world have sent mares to deep impact, you know, in, in his latter years because that blood's just amazing and he's just done such an amazing job. And I'd love for you to give us an insight, Captain, into Ryan Moore because we don't hear him speak that much. But when he speaks, you've got to listen. And he was so, like, I love the Aidan O'Brien quote after the race saying that Ryan came down in February to ride this horse at Bally Doyle. And he doesn't say too much to Aidan, but he said, This is a very, very special cult, Aidan. And he, and he was glowing in the appraisal of him after the race. But you've had something to do with him. Obviously, he rode that Group One winner for. Chris Waller and Coolmore there this year with Shinzo taking out the slipper and was a vintage Ryan Moore ride. What's he like? Because he's, I think he's the best hoop in the world at the moment. Yeah, he's um he's very quiet. Yeah, he just out his business, but his work ethic would be absolutely amazing. Like there'd be nothing to see him ride in in the afternoon in England and and at night meeting, and then the next day Group Ones in Ireland. And, you know, he even flies over to America or, or France or something and rides in Group 1s on Sundays. He just doesn't stop. And and you see him, he, you know, he puts his heart and soul into every ride. He makes sure that they're not going to die wondering. No, there's no doubt about that. And he's got that rare ability 
who travel anywhere around the world at any jurisdiction around different tracks, riding against different jockeys and still performing at a world standard. He is a generational jockey. There's no doubt about that and can't wait to see what he can do there when we're at, we're at Royal Ascot during that famous carnival. What did you make of the, the demise of racing in Singapore? We covered it. We broke the story here on SEN on Thursday afternoon, Captain, and Jesus has been hard to watch from afar. Oh, it's a terrible shame. You know, there's a there's a lot of uh, Anzacs that have made their life up there. They've yeah. had their families up there. They've worked hard, you know, to be good trainers and, and you know, settled up, up in Singapore. And for this to happen, it's a crying shame. Really, you know, because what's what's the answer? Why, why are they doing it? And it looks like they just want the land back, which is a, is an interesting excuse. I think it's a little bit more than that. I think that they racing has been with the turnover. It's been falling the turnover over the last couple of years. Obviously the casinos have made a bit of a difference and a lot of offshore betting as well. A lot of money going outside of Singapore, but they did tell me that they made a really hefty profit the other day. So it just beggars belief a little bit. And the, the worst part about it is that, and you would know this better than anyone, Captain, that the Singapore racing fraternity were spending up during the sales here in this country. I, I think they spent, I know it's not big when you compare it to say other jurisdictions, but around $3 million in, in um, Australia and New Zealand. Well, the club returned a $50 million profit yeah. last. So, you know, that, uh, that bears a lot of thinking about, but when it's a government run uh, business, you probably don't really have any recall. So, I think it's actually good that Salangor and uh, Malaysian Racing have opened their doors to these horses and said, come up here and we're going to do our best to accommodate you. We're going to build some extra boxes and hopefully it lets them down a little bit more gently. I know it's a terrible kick in the guts for them, but, you know, the, they'll be able to increase their prize money in Malaysia. And, well, they'll need to, won't they? It's only about, what's that? They'll need to. It's only about $50,000 for their biggest race in Malaysia, they tell me. They've got a wonderful track, Gareth, yeah. and I'm sure, I'm sure the, the jockeys are going to improve and then there'll be better trainers and that. It'll be it'll generate turnover and I'm sure they'll be able to improve their prize money. So what does that mean for some of the breeding industry here in Australasia? Will that affect our, our game a little bit? Because they did spend a little bit of money, of course, the Singaporeans. Well, they also buy a number of the better horses on the online digital platforms yeah you know and and it's not all about the ones they buy it's also about the ones they're underbidders on you know they they generate a market because they know they can buy a 200 or two hundred and fifty thousand dollar tried horse and it can get up there and it's already had all the work done on it so with those horses that are in singapore and some of the better ones that the owners might want to move on is there much value for those horses in singapore how do you think that process Will, will work out or how will that unfold? Um, a, a huge number of the horses that, that are retiring from Singapore do go to Malaysia as, as it stands. Yeah. So I'm sure that the influx will just build up and and the numbers in Singapore will come down over the next 15 months or so. And I think it'll be a reasonably smooth transition. And it'll be interesting to see, and I'm I've interviewed Donna Logan, one of your great friends. Um, I've interviewed a few of the other participants there in Singapore. And 
I, I think Donna says she'll stay to the end, but there's a few other trainers that say, no, we'll, we don't know if we'll even last October 24 because we might start the exit process a little early and you might not have any horses left by the end of the period that you want to stop racing. So I think it's going to get a little bit messy and ugly over the next few months or the next 18 months anyway, Captain. Yeah, um, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, when one door closes, another opens, Gareth, and, you know, like, there's some nice horses in Singapore, and I'm sure that, that they'll be doing their best to get them to Malaysia and put some better races on for them, even right from the start. Yeah. I enjoyed the performance of Songline. She made it back-to-back route ones, this preparation, to take out that uh, feature there in Japan on Sunday, and boy, she's got a, a turn of foot. Um Songline, which is a daughter of Kasuna, of course, which is a son of Deep Impact. So it was another um, truly run Japanese Group 1, and I love watching their big races, big fields, nice horses, and they go like the clappers most of the time anyway, Captain. Yeah, they um, they run – the races are run at a very genuine pace, and often the tracks are pretty firm as well. But you do see – a huge percentage of the time that the better horses and the better jockeys seem to congregate as as the uh, horses turn for home and they seem to get into pretty good spots when you've got blokes like Damien Lane up there and Pesier and those sort of tra- jockeys, you know, they're world-class and, and the horses are definitely world-class. Yeah, and Damien Lane, he gave his horse a beautiful ride as well and he looked like he was going to win his second group one of his time there in, in Tokyo. Um, he was on Seraphos, who he's won a, a group one with before, and that horse went to Dubai and was a disgrace, but um, could only finish second, just finished second there behind that mare song line. And then we've got the Japanese sale coming up shortly, um, and we get to see half-sisters to horses that you know really well that were trained by Chris Waller and Youngstar and Funstar. So looking forward to seeing what they can produce there. Um, in these upcoming sales, yeah, they uh, they have their annual yearling sale in Japan, and and it's a pretty interesting event. And if anybody you know was looking to have the opportunity to go to it, I'd really recommend it because it's a very interesting day. Um, they put on a very good uh, feed and beverage, and it's uh, very well conducted. So, two hundred thirty-one yearlings will be offered. That's on. July 10, and uh, there's also the weanling sales at the same time, but I would imagine that you would need to bring your checkbook, and there's a lot of the Australian mares now that are producing progeny in Japan, which is great to see. Yankee Rose, we all know what she's been able to achieve in the breeding barn there in Japan, so um, yeah, that'll be interesting, and I don't know, you've probably got pockets big enough to buy um, something there, Captain? Most of them... The, it's interesting, Gareth, that the yearlings will sell very well, yeah, and the and the weanlings the following day will make more. Why? Uh, just uh, just what they do. Yeah, but it's a, it's a it's an amazing thing where you see like a hundred and fifty broodmares all standing in in penciled off areas under the trees, and they stand them out there for two hours with their foals. And the people walk around through the broodmares, through the trees, and look at the foals on them. Then they take them all back to the stables, and then they bring them through for the sale. Yeah, I'd love to go to Japan one day um, and watch them do what they do. We had a chat to Damien Lane last week, and he 
like the, the way that they prepare their horses, their patient, the facilities that they've got are unbelievable. And, um, yeah, it sounds like it'd be a great place to visit for thoroughbred lovers. Um, just quickly, the Tattlesall's July sale, um, we've purchased horses like Azaki, Dubai Honor, Romantic Warrior, um, have come out of that sale. Of course, we didn't buy Dubai Honor, but we saw how good he was here. Romantic Warrior, the star Hong Kong middle distance galloper. So it's a sale that can produce a champion. Yeah, Plenty definitely, Gareth. You know, like they, they, you know, there's horses getting sold all the time in every jurisdiction now. So I don't think you can actually pigeonhole one sale to be better than the next. I think you just have to have your eyes open and see what's coming past all the time. Yep. So will you be participating in that sale? Uh, we'll definitely have a look at the catalogue. Um, I think now nowadays you don't actually have to be physically there, but I'm sure you can still buy a horse. They have all pretty good information online and everything, and you can get a man on the ground to have a look at them for you as well. So I think we'd, we've bought out of the July sale before, and we'll be definitely having another look this year. Great to be with the captain here for the Breeding Bloodstock and Banter podcast. Gareth Hall with you, Guy Molcaster. We'll take a break. James Price, the boss of Inglis in Melbourne, will be joining us because the Great Southern Sale is about to commence. In fact, it's nearly ready to go, the Great Southern Sale. So looking forward to catching up with James straight after this. You're listening to Breeding Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. You're listening to Gareth Hall and Guy Moldcaster on this Wednesday for the Breeding Bloodstock and Bear to Show. And James Price, the boss of Inglis in Victoria, joins us because the Great Southern Sale will be commencing tomorrow. And there's 377 weanlings that will be offered. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how this sale unfolds because there's a Frankel filly that's got everybody talking. As we say hello to you, James, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Gareth. Hello, Guy. How are you? James, how are you? Now, tell very us welcome. about this Frankel filly that everybody's talking about, which will be lot 64. So she's offered on behalf of Burnawang uh, North, and we're extremely grateful to Cathy and all her team because this year, what, they, what they've done in the last few years is they sell all their draft as weanlings, and they've chosen to split them up across, uh, you know, usually two, two sales. Uh, but we're very fortunate for them to have decided to sell them all here at the Great Southern Sale so buyers can come with confidence and that, that every foal that they have bred is presented here at the Great Southern Sale. So we talk specifically of this Frankel filly. So she's certainly not a filly that I expected to see when she sort of walked out of the box when I saw her last week uh, on the farm. She she presents as a two-year-old. You know, she's medium-sized, but she's got this great strength to her, great balance, hip, muscle tone. And I saw her yesterday, and she is just an absolute machine. Obviously, she's the most paraded filly on the ground. Everyone wants to look at her. But she comes out, she stands up, and then she marches along. And the perfect horse, she goes back into her box after parading and puts her head straight in the feed bucket. She's got our name. Uh, she's got her name written all over it, Captain. She has, Gareth. But we're probably going to end up with a. Uh... One sort of competitor who's usually pretty hard to beat. Yes. I'm, I'm Mr. Zhang. He's not turning up, is he? He could give us a go. <laughs> he, uh, Mr. Zhang, is, uh, he's obviously got his team here inspecting the filly. Yes. So who, 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 knows if he, uh, who knows if he'll be on this filly? But as we know, uh, he does have a liking for Frankel's. So how, <coughs> how much do you think she'll go for? 
Oh, look, I would say, I mean, she's obviously from a wonderful family and a beautiful update with the um, the Dini uh, champion three-year-old Colt uh, in Europe last year. So it's a wonderful European family. I mean, Frankel's, I mean, he's a star. Uh, look, I would have thought she'll be making somewhere between four and 600000 Okay, will be my guess. That's not indication of any reserve or anything like that. But I think what we've seen, and we saw Frankel, we've seen themselves very well as weanlings and also yearlings this year. So I think a filly of this quality would demand such a price. We'll start with you, James, and I'll go to you here, Captain. Um, so with this sale, with the 377 weanlings, with the bloodstock um Bloodstock agents having a look at these horses. Are they buying these horses more for pin hooking, or are they buying these horses to 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 race? Uh, I would say, look, let's say a filly, a filly, a Frankel filly. I yep. would think she's probably will be bought by an end user. Yep. Um, look, there's um, and there's a number of fillies in this sale that I think will be bought for end users. There's certainly a lot of pin hookers on the ground who are looking to you know, put a put a price on a horse. But when you're pin hooking, you've obviously got to determine what they think that horse can make as a yearling. And that obviously then creates a ceiling for what they can buy the horse uh, as a weanling. But obviously a Frankel filly is, I mean, they're sort of hard to come by. They're sort of diamonds. So an end user probably has a figure which probably sits higher than what a pin hooker might anticipate. Uh, like we saw with the Frankel that sold uh, on the Gold Coast, uh, was bought by an end user, uh, and he'll be put into a racing stable. So I think this filly will, will be the same. Because the 2021 sale, Captain, I, I know that you're not really into the pin hooking, but I did some research there. There was a um, a horse purchased for $360,000, returning $900,000, $200,000. They turned that into half a million dollars. It was a $65,000 investment into $270,000. And then there was another $25,000 investment into $200,000. So you can actually, if you do your homework and you, and, um, you can actually find a, a handy investment here at this sale. Oh, totally, um, and that and that's why there's so many pin hookers on the ground st- doing their due diligence and trying to find the next uh, profit-making weanling turn into yearling. But as James said, I think there is going to be a bit of a changing of the guard over the next few years, where people end up getting beaten at yearling sales and, and spending their money as end users as wean- at, at weanling sales. Yeah, and. James, what do you make of the first season size? Is there anyone, any one of those stallions there with their progeny standing out? We've got two darn hot exceedance, Super Seth, Pirata, um, all there this year, Castle Vecchio, Blue Point, um, Microphone, Alabama Express. So um, who do you think's leading the way? Uh, I mean, the, 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 all those stallions you mentioned are the ones with, uh, they had yearlings, yearlings this yes, year and yeah. their two, two-year-olds just about to hit the track, I think. Look, I think the horse that surprised me the most was probably Alabama Express. I think he he had a lovely lineup of horses, um, and he was obviously standing at Yulong for the first season. I was really impressed with the horses I saw um, that he presented on the ground. So it would be no surprise. Obviously, he's by a, a sire line that we that needs no introduction. Dane Hill reduced choice. Uh, he was a Group One winner himself, so they really looked uh, look like runners. And um, obviously, you. Blue Point's got off to an incredible start in Europe with eight runners, uh, sorry, eight winners from something like 20 um, runners he's booked out. 
Um, but um, if we talk about first season stadiums that uh, have wheelings on the ground, you look at, um, you know, I've been impressed with what I've seen from um, the Dirty Works, who he stands here in Victoria. Yeah. Now, Widen, I've liked what I've seen from the Doubtlands, uh, particularly the Farnans. Uh, obviously, a golden super winner, son of not a single doubt. I really like what he's got. And then you look at a horse like it comes from different sidelines, a fierce impact, uh, son of deep impact. He won a couple of group ones. He's producing good athletic walking horses. And, you know, Rosemont Studs, Hanseatic, son yeah. of street boss. They're sort of, you know, they look like tough, strong, good body, uh, deep girthed foals. So a um, lot to look forward to in the next couple of days of weanling selling. And all of these horses purchased at the sale eligible for the Rich English Race Series. So there's plenty of money up for grabs, especially with the English Millennium and um, the, the pink bonus scheme that you announced recently. Yeah, that's right. Uh, anyone, any end users, and also pinhookers can obviously pay up for the race series as well, but pinhookers are probably less likely to do it, pay up for it at this stage because uh, the horse will be re-offered as a yearling. But uh, certainly end users by the next couple of days can pay up for the race series. As you say, the, uh, the English Millennium and another $12 plus million worth of races. And obviously announced this season uh, the pink bonus, which is 75% uh, women owned, and also the $50,000, $100,000 English maiden bonuses. So obviously we, we know that the hardest race for a horse to win is their maiden. So we're hoping that uh, a $100,000 maiden every, every week or thereabouts um, for the year starting in the 2023-24 season will be uh, a nice carrot because the most important thing for us, we all participate in the industry, but it's to uh, to get new participants in the industry, but then to uh, retain them in the, in the industry. So if we can give them a bit more, a bit more prize money and, you know, something that uh, we all love racing horses, but if it, uh, if it can pay its way, it, uh, it's a bonus. So we hope those um, bonus races can uh, certainly encourage people to stay in the game and, keep buying horses. Yeah, I think in today's environment as well with the economy, et cetera, I think that you need to add those extra bonuses or initiatives to get people um, to get people investing back into the game, especially people looking into the, the smaller players, the mums and dads that might go and work with the syndicator. They go, okay, then, well, if we buy a horse here at Inglis – and we win a maiden, we can be eligible for a race like $100,000 and get most of our investment back. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, gone on the days of the pandemic and, you know, what we saw in terms of investment in horses and people are back sort of living what, what we call a normal life. So they've got decisions about what they want to do with their, with their discretionary spend. And as you say, with the slight tightening of the economy, um, they can uh, they choose to spend it where they wish and you know some will choose not to uh invest in horses but if we can make it uh, as enticing as possible as an industry uh it's better than better than spend money on shares in racehorses than boats cars and Correct. fine art and holidays 100 uh, <laughs> oh, i totally agree james and this is the last sale really in australia i know we've got the new zealand weanling and, and broodmare national sale there in the middle part of june but this is the last chance really for buyers to purchase a horse yeah, the last sort of the traditional, yeah. um, the d- traditional sale as, as we call it, the you know the yearling sales into broodmare sales and weanling sales uh, of, of the season. We obviously get into breeze up sales later in the year in the English digital sale, which happens every fortnight. But as we call the the traditional live sales here at a complex, yeah, it's the last one of the season. So it uh, the Great Southern Sales got a 
I suppose, a rich history of producing, you know, horses that have run on the track like Montefilia and on the bubbles and group one winners like that. And as you say before, um, pin hookers that have bought, uh, found a diamond in the rough and uh, gone on and sold very well in the yielding sales the following year. So plenty of opportunities, as you say, at the last sale of the year. Well, go and find me a behemoth or something like that. That'd be much appreciated if you could do that over the next couple of days. But we appreciate your time, James, and stay dry, stay warm, and enjoy the best dim sims there at Oakland's Junction in the canteen. I thoroughly enjoyed the dim sims there. So, um, Are you ste- steamed or fried? I'm fried. I'm fried these days. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Good, good choice. All good right. choice. Good on you, mate. Thanks, hey, well, thanks, thanks James. Back with you your James. sale. Good on you. Thanks, guys. There's, thanks, Gareth. There's James Price, the boss of England in Victoria. And, Captain, after well, – on the middle part of June, which makes it a little bit difficult for the high rollers like you to get there, but New Zealand will be hosting their national Karaka, their national broodmare and weanling sales. And um, – with the, the year that they've had and the Group 1 winners that they've produced and a few of their stallions that have really stepped up and decided to be counted for, really, they've really come a long way in a short amount of time. Um, it could be a pretty popular sale there in New Zealand as well. Definitely, Gareth. And, and you know, I think you just spoke on the stats from the last sale. There's always a number of good results out of the New Zealand sale where people have... Uh, spent a little bit of money and, and sold pretty well as a yearling. So the opportunity's definitely there. Yeah, and they've got their like their weanlings where you'll be able to buy into a Prasera or Purincanta or Ocean Park and a Darcy Brahma. And I guess the pinhookers will be pretty keen on to, and they go for a lot of money, but the Purincantos are so popular these days because of their residual value. If they can run, they can go to Hong Kong, of course, um, because he's doing such a wonderful job there. And they've got a few interesting first season size that we'll get to have a look at for the first time there at these weanling sales. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens in, um, in New Zealand there in the middle part of June. Do you think where that sale is situated, is it an awkward time for the bloodstock agents with Europe also in full swing? It's very hard to find a spot, Gareth. Yeah. Um, you know, we've only really... We only finished our last yearling sale 10 days ago here in, in the Gold Coast. So, you know, for them to be able to find a spot to sell weanlings, it's pretty hard. But uh, I don't think there'll be any problems in June. It'll be lovely weather in Auckland at that stage of the year, and I'm sure they'll do well. So Leith Innes, he doesn't get a trip to the UK, your apprentice. He has to stay back in New Zealand, look at those horses for you. What's the process there, boss? Well, he he lives about ten k's in the sales complex, so I'm sure I'm going to get charged a bit of travel travel <laughs> expenses and that sort of thing. But I'm sure he'll he'll find a couple and we'll have a bit of a talk about it and see if we can get get one or two sold. Now, Captain, I know that you're you're busy when you go over to um, Europe, so we've got Jacko ready to go for your questions coming up next. And there's a few questions because I think that you'll be absent for a few weeks, so. We'll have those questions for you, questions for the captain straight after this. You're listening to Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter with Gareth Hall and the captain. Welcome back to the Breeding, Bloodstock and Banter show. Gareth Hall with you along with the captain, Guy Molcaster and Jackson France, the number one producer in the game who's 
He'll be become like he's a new Henry Field as well. Don't worry about that. He'll be starting his own breeding empire, starting off with his blue point. Do you know if it's a colt or a filly yet? Uh, not yet. I'll wait until it's on the ground. So seven weeks to go. I can't wait. The tent's about to be pitched and uh, we'll watch her fall down. Seven weeks to go. Hey, uh, Gareth, I think uh, after listening to James Price's plug on Blue Point, I think uh, Jackson put it on loop. He's going to be like Ed Sheeran. He's going to have it Blue Point going around all day, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, wake up every morning, refresh the results in the Northern Hemisphere to see if he's got a new winner. It's a bit obsessive, really. It'll be it'll be the promo for this show. James Price saying how good Blue Point's going. He's had eight winners in Europe, blah blah blah. But he's easily per he's easily bought um, our man Jacko, captain. He's already got a Harry Angel hat on, so. Um, Dali pretty good by se- sending their hats to, to Jacko and he makes sure that he wears them with pride. Anyway, who's got the first question? I think Craig will kick it all off. Yeah, so Craig kicks it off, as you mentioned, Gareth. And for Guy, what do you enjoy most about being a bloodstock agent? And on the flip side, what do you enjoy the least? I think the camaraderie is amazing, really. we You know, we get together, we see each other, you know, every month or so at different sales and you see different people at different sales around Australia and then, Sometimes you're in New Zealand, you catch up with different people. That's a pretty amazing sort of part of it. What I don't enjoy about it, um, it's probably not really very many negatives. Sounds like a great career choice then. Not when you're a millionaire and you get 5% every horse you purchase. It's the best job in the history and you get to go and celebrate that night. It's, it's It would be my dream job, Captain. Well, I just can't wait to sell you a couple of good horses, Gareth, and I can imagine the slings will be amazing. Unbelievable. And I'll tell you what, um, um, being the number one man, the face of the breeding, the voice of breeding these days with this podcast, um, that must be really exciting. Uh, you must be excited about that. Do you get recognised now in the streets? Uh, no, I don't think that many people on the Gold Coast care too much about horse racing, Gareth, but uh, we have had a Fair bit of good feedback about the podcast. Yes. It's very interesting. It's played in New Zealand in the, on Sunday mornings when people are working at the stables and looking after their mares and foals on the stud farms, and we've had a few comments about it. So it's very interesting that it's getting out to your uh, brother station in New Zealand, SEN yes. New Zealand. Which is a terrific station going places, SENZ. What about Ben's got a question? Yeah, so Captain, what is it like working closely with Chris Waller during the sales season? Uh, we have, we. I know what he's sort of what he wants. I'm pretty mindful of not showing him horses he's not really interested in. Um, we have a system where we where we liaise probably two or three times a week uh, about different matters and and going forward we're thinking about what stallions are doing well and what horses are winning the big races and and which which ways we can improve. So you know it's sort of uh, it's a hands on job basically all the time just trying to refine it and buy better horses buy more horses and 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 looking after your your owners really just on that guy do you have weekly or monthly conversations with chris regarding the bloodstock part of his business regarding about oh geez this stallion's really caught me eye, caught my eye or do you change your game plans from time to time does his philosophies change um, yeah, well, we're pretty mindful of which which horses are getting the results, but we're also mindful of which horses he's got in the stables that haven't been unearthed yet. And I think you can find a little window where you can buy a 
couple more by a stallion that you think have, have got horses above average ability in the stable that you haven't raced or trialled. You mentioned before, Captain, that there's no real downside to being a blood stock agent. This leads into the next question from Liam. What's the advice that you would give to someone starting out in the breeding industry that wants to follow your path into being a bloodstock agent? I don't think you can. Um, I don't think you can have too much experience. Uh, there's a lot of bloodstock agents out there. There's not a lot of clients, so I think the more experience you get, you know, either being working on a stud farm or working for a sales company, or you know, and just. You basically have to know your product, you have to know your clients, and, and the clients are very hard to find. So, I mean, yes, it does look like it's easy. You just go to a sale and buy horses and make money, but there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. I've got a quick one before we wrap things up. We were touching on some well-bred gallopers before, and Congregation, the full brother to Esther Jab, and remark which we highlighted before his first win there the other week at the midweeks, he went on to um, claim victory there on Saturday over Tuta Levita, the stable mate. What did you make of that uh, $2.25 million Colts uh, victory on Saturday? Well, when you when you knew the the word about the second horse... He was sort of a little bit apprehensive, but I just knew that uh, he, he's got a desire and he's got a lot of improvement to come. He's, he, he's got reasonably good ring craft, but I think you'll find even better horses, a three-year-old, and the, and the filly's pretty good too. So um, we're, we're really looking forward to the spring with these horses because we've got a number of really nice two-year-olds turning three. Yeah, I think Chris is going to have a really big three-year-old season, especially in the spring, Captain. Well, yeah, just take it step by step. And, you know, as long as we don't get wet tracks, I'm sure the horses will put their hands up. I've got a couple of questions before we say goodbye. Um, the one that got away, now, I was told about this. Someone gave me a call yesterday. And obviously, Cadolphin um, sell their broodmares, some of their broodmares at the National Broodmare Sale on the Gold Coast. There was a mare that went through the sale and she was sold for just $20,000. And she is the mother of a horse by the name of Red Card. So you can find a couple of bargains there at these broodmare sales, especially with Cadolphin. They've let a couple of nice broodmare, um, broodmares go that have been able to produce winners in the next couple of years. You need a little bit of luck, but I think it's a situation where you need to be on the phone to our mate Jimmy Cummings to say, James, might need some help here. Yeah, well, when they sell their horses at the, at Godolphin at these at these sales, they're very transparent. They send you basically a big uh, big catalogue with extra information on crosses, uh, mares' history, the actual set animals' history. So I don't think you really need to be driving Jimmy Cummings mad about okay. ringing up asking him about a mare that's going to make twenty grand because all the information's in front of you, Gareth. I think you're probably just ringing them up to get a tip on Saturday. No, not really, not really. I, I just ring the driver. He's driving. Gives him, give us, gives us the best mail there. Um, um, I don't think Jimmy's a punter. That's the problem. Now, before we let you go, guy, unlike you, what's the horse that you purchased that you're really looking forward to to watching over the next week or so? Uh, we've got one. It is by Zoostar. Yes. Trialled very well last week in Melbourne. Yeah. It was entered to run a sale today, but it drew a very bad barrier. 
So it's going to be withdrawn, and it's called Listen to Zoo. Yes. We've, we've our trial watchers have been all over that horse. Who trains that horse? Chris Waller. Yep. So Dan Cobby's been looking after it, which is a little concerning. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the horse hasn't been standing behind him in a lineup for a buffet. Yeah. <laughs> he was... Dan Cobby was clocking horses. He was the man that was our expert and the voice of the Singapore situation, and he spoke so well and passionate, passionately about that situation. But when I was talking to him yesterday, he was clocking horses. So, um, yeah, he works harder than anyone. And so what's the captain's pick? What have we got this week? Because our friends in New Zealand, especially listening on a Sunday morning, they're a little bit lucky because they probably miss all of the um, – <laughs> Sports bets well, we, that we put we on early a, doors, but you've had a pretty good time of it, I must say, with the we've horses. We've had a good time, but you know, last week we had the state of origin, they looked the winners the whole way through, they lay down at the end, never again, New South Wales. Oh, no, I was, I was all excited about fire burning the bloody vet torch to see us. So, yep. I might just sit on the fence this week, Gareth. But if we had, if we did have to have a quick look at something for a futures bet. Why wouldn't you go for having a little bit of something on um, Opal Ridge and the Dane Ripper on Saturday? Yeah. I, I reckon Opal Ridge is one of the great stories as well. Purchased for $20,000 by Luke Pepper's mates who wanted to give him a bit of a, a kick along from Maruya. And um, a few of the mates that are involved in that horse have been pretty crook as well. So that horse has been putting a smile on their, their faces it's a terrific story. I was so disappointed that she might not get a start. There's still a small chance, but a start in a Stradbroke on a firm track with a turn of foot, I thought she would have been dangerous, but that'll do us in the Dane Ripper, Opal Rich. Yeah, I think that'll be the way to go, Gareth. She has got an amazing turn of foot, as you mentioned, and its game was just sensational. Now, Captain, when I'm overseas in Europe, don't forget to um, acknowledge me. I know that you'll be hanging around all of your big – mates there in in the uk and um poor old little gareth and us australian battlers make sure you remember who we are definitely gareth like you'll be the bloke with the little aussie flag there out the front <laughs> waving at a cool and getter and artorius and cannonball won't you yes that that that'll be me then i'll go hey captain can i come to the car with you go who shoe off <laughs> no no at all, Gareth. It's it's amazing. The car parks are actually amazing at, at Royal Ascot and basically everybody's welcome. So um, we look forward to seeing you over there. I might get you a scooter so you can scoot up that hill and have that dart instead of walking up that hill after getting off the train. Love your work, mate. We could talk to you all day. It's been one hell of a stint to kick off this podcast, the Breeding Bloodstock and Bander Show. Um, we appreciate your time as always and stay safe. Stay healthy. Jacko, thanks for that. You're still here. Thanks, Gareth.